This episode is brought to you by the generous support of RCAT. RCAT is here to remind you as you get ready for AIA 19 in Las Vegas, you don't have to gamble when it comes to finding great product information. Don't take a chance with user uploaded BIM files. Use RCAT's free library of families created by professionals. Why settle for generic or old CAD details when RCAT has up-to-date drawings of real products? Don't roll the dice with old specifications from yesteryear and hope the products your project needs are still available. And you can find that at RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit them at AIA19 at booth 5735. That's 5735. And thanks to RCAT for sponsoring this episode of Arcaspeak. Neil, do you want to start it? How do you want to start uh, it? Just, you know, the next, uh, I was just, just thinking like maybe this is just introduced as the next episode in our series on technology and in the architectural profession. I think you just did. <laughs> All right. All right. So the next episode in our series, or let's, let's start over again. Okay, so this episode in our series of technology in relation to the architectural profession, we wanted to talk about the future of the design process. And I've got a few different subtopics that I'd like to go over, and I, I'm sure you guys do too. So Me too. We'll try to, we'll try to keep it moving. Um, but the future of the design process, that's a, that's a wide open topic. And so, I mean, again, we're, we're focusing around technology. What have you guys been seeing lately that you feel like is, I don't know, disruptive or, or evolutionary of the design process that we've known for so long. Because last episode, we really stepped back and kind of talked about where we've been and the transformation that we've seen, you know, from analog to digital in our careers. Um, so, so if you haven't listened to that episode, it might be a good primer. We, we walked down memory lane and talked about all the ammonia fumes that we've sniffed in the past <laughs> and and now we're we're really jumping off into what the series is all about and just kind of talking about the transformation that we're in the midst of and i i really do feel like we're in one of the the largest transitions that the profession has ever seen and and maybe i'm just saying that because it's right now and and it's our you know if we own it it's our transition but true but i really feel like it it's profoundly affecting the profession of architecture so much so that I think in 10 years, it's going to be almost indistinguishable from the profession that we started in. Whereas right now I, I can definitely still see the the paths that have led us here. Um, I'm, I'm almost certain that that's not going to be the case in about 10 years um, unless we get really good at, at storytelling, which, you know, we, we, we definitely like our storytelling in architecture, but um we're also not very good at passing the stories down. So, so maybe it won't be there in 10 years. So I don't know. What, what have you guys seen that you really feel like um, is affecting the future of the design process? So not even the, the now of the design process, but what do you see coming? What do you see in that transition? I have a, I have a question first. How much of 10 or 15 years from now our profession changing just because of the people aging out of the profession. Yeah. Good point. Right. right. I mean, the, yeah. So you're saying I mean, the demographics are changing. Well, so kind of, yeah, with the demographics changing, some of the ways that maybe we used to practice change yeah. with it. Well, then let, let me give you kind of a 
what my last week, week and a half, possibly two weeks has been like, and how that kind of reflects the transitional nature of at least just the present. How many contractors are going to get thrown under the bus? No, 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 this is, this is totally, this is more about how we, so we've been working on a project where we've just moved from uh, schematic design into design development and our, our clients looking for us to give a presentation, you know, tell them the story of how they're going to be able to, we have to tell them the narrative of our story of the design so that then she can go on and be able to talk to all these different people, you know, all, all the different stakeholders that are involved with this building, what the story of this building is about, what is, what's the design, you know, what is, how is this forwarding both research and medicine how does this forward the the nature of the mission of the of the institution? And I'm trying to I, the reason I'm kind of <laughs> is um, trying to make sure that I don't really say the name of the institution, just because we're still in the early stages of things and going to respect their privacy for now until I'm actually allowed to talk about it a little bit more. But so we've internally, you know, we've been trying to power forward in doing a lot of modeling you know we we modeled a lot um in schematic design and the reason we modeled a lot more than probably normal or going back to what we were talking about in the last episode wanting to model more in the earlier stages of things is so that we can really tell the story of a lot of different things now the the reason that we modeled a lot in this particular case is that we're also trying to develop a budget so that we can get a lot of these stakeholders to buy into the overall cost of this. Now, this is an this is both an existing building and an addition to a very complicated complex of buildings. And so there's a lot of different factors that we have to take into it, not just the design of things, but also the constructability and also the protection of all of the different user groups that are within this thing. You know, this is a a, a both a research and hospital facility. And so there's you anything and everything that you could potentially think of is of concern to us. You know, the hard, the hard thing to do is, you know, when you have complex things like this is to develop a bunch of narrative documents for the story of your design in a very old school manner, because there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of interfaces of like, it's okay. We're transitioning from this new building into this existing building. What is that existing building? You know, how is that interface working and, and all of these different things. And so where we were struggling with is we were doing it, you know, somewhat as a hybrid of an old school, new school type de- delivery process where we had a lot of things pinned up on the walls. We had a few models, but the narrative just wasn't getting there. The narrative wasn't, we weren't, able to like really truly tell a story because we were kind of struggling between preferences of how to present it. Some people wanted it to be a very more 2d, you know, delivery process. Some people believed that it was more of a 3d process where we could, you know, basically go into a VR type thing, or at least, you know, do, do flyovers or cut throughs and stuff like that of the model to kind of show what the intent of these spaces and, or a hybrid of both. And so we sort of struggled with, you know, trying to tell the story until we finally agreed upon one, which kind of occurred in this past week. And it was very successful. But, you know, I, I think that's where, and 
kind of the point of me telling this story was, is that I think we're at this stage right now, and Neil pointed it out, with uh, once people in 10, 15 years from now start to retire and start to move on, the the people who are in the profession now that are younger, that are growing up with the newer technologies, that's all they're going to know. So they're not going to know the old ways of doing things. And so those can kind of be put aside and we can continue to push forward with the new way of, of both the design process, the kind of like the narrative storytelling process, which I kind of think is the same so that we will be able to get past that. But, you know, right now we're at this weird little like crossroads of, of being able to like tell the story, tell the story, right. Tell the story clear, especially when you're not only telling the story to your client, to your peers, but you're also telling that story to the contractor and being able to tell, have the contractor understand the intent of things in a 2d manner. Sometimes just, you know, that's normally where they live. And so they understand it that way. But then when you have such complicated like interfaces between existing buildings or change in materials or, you know, hey, you've got existing foundations and stuff like that and you're putting in new foundations. But the way that those inter- interface, I mean, sometimes it might actually even be better just to kind of cut away and show a 3D view of like, okay, your existing pile foundations are 50 feet deep. However, to build this new building right next to those 50 foot you know, piles, you have to do this. Yeah. And to show them things like that, you know, that's a lot of times deep. I think that that drawing is not a technical drawing, right? It's, it's a diagrammatic yeah. drawing that it, does exactly. convey intent. And I, I also wonder if the future of our process, like you said, you're doing a lot of modeling, which I think is great, right? That, that shows that you have a complete understanding of all of these things. And yeah, I mean, I'm trying to straddle the line here between you know, we have a lot of audience members who don't know any different, and we have a lot of them who come from a long, rich history of the way that we've done things. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not, I'm in no way saying that the future way is better, um, because I, we don't know if it's better. Um, and and not only that, but there's a lot of things that we should be pulling from our rich history along with us. Um, and so. Modeling is fantastic because it does give you a full kind of spatial understanding and allows you to convey that message, right? Especially to people who are just used to looking at 2D drawings. But I would also say that contractors are probably adopting this stuff faster than architects are. So they're... I I totally agree with you. So so there's maybe two different, you know, BIM models in the future. There's there's like the contractor's BIM model, which is constructability. And there's the architect's BIM model, which is intent. And I don't think that they're the same thing. Like, I I think that you guys are probably spending a lot of time modeling stuff to a level of detail, which you don't need to figure out because they're not going to look at that anyway. Right. And then there's, there's the intent stuff, which is the storytelling stuff, which is the, we're interfacing with this old stuff, with this new technology, you know, building technology, and they've got to, they've got to meet like this and they've got to interface like this. And then it's like, okay, contractor, how do we do that with you, with all of your experience to pull off what we need to pull off here and really establish a trusting partnership? Because that's something that's been missing for a really long time, especially in the public bid process, is the trust, right? The trust is not there. Um, and it's not there by design. Um, it's there to create an adversarial relationship so that the lowest cost and the least um, mm-hmm. can be done, 
right? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. crazy to think about that we're designing buildings for the public that need to last a very long time for the least amount of dollars with the least amount of effort, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's goal, crazy, though, right? I mean, if you really just say it out loud, that's crazy. And and obviously, I'm yeah. just talking about the markets that we work in. I mean, I'm not talking about everything. I'm not talking about private development. I'm not talking about residential. I'm not talking about, you know, private money here, because that that is a completely different thing. But but I'm talking about the public stuff that we're all paying for. Um, that system is crazy broken when you think about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. So does technology help fix that broken system? So what I've noticed, I mean, and we, you were talking about delivery of design, Cormac, before we really started the show. And, and I'm noticing a huge trend going towards design build. I don't know if you guys are, but I mean, delivery models that are more based on partnership early are definitely becoming, I would just, just say more, they're just happening more often. Um, so, well, so I don't know if that's the answer to your question or not, but it's, it's maybe an avenue down that path. Neil, I'll give you another example of, of that is just like what Evan said is things are kind of somewhat trending towards design build, maybe not necessarily in smaller scale projects, but in larger institutional projects that I've been dealing with, it, it's sort of a hybrid. And I think I've talked about this a couple of times in the past, but you know, where we will have a CM on board early, basically from day one, you know, we're hired, they're hired at the exact same time. CM is a venture together. construction manager. Construction manager. Yeah. So, and so they're basically helping the clients, our clients develop budgets, develop kind of value engineering and things like that. In this particular case, the project that we had just done our design presentation for, which is kind of, I guess would be like our end of schematic design presentation. Um, leading into design development, but it's kind of a straddling both of them, early DD and late SD type stuff. So we're at a point now where we're talking about trade partners coming on board to do a design assist. So design assist isn't 100% full design build because it, it isn't necessarily accurate that those people who are going to be our design assist partners will actually also be the contractors designing it. A lot of times it's very likely that they will be, but it's not always guaranteed. But what you do get is you get basically a shop drawing level set of documents that are being released out, um, whether it's them basically helping create a set of shop drawings that then become part of the architectural set or inform us with enough detail and information that you know, there's really nothing left to chance on the documents that we've we've put in. It's a very clear, very concise set of documents that is probably more helped generated by the the contractors rather than the architects. And that great example is, is the last you know project that I sent out to bid that is a few months away from substantial completion. That's what we did is we provided our model to the precast contractors, to the steel contractors, to the curtain wall manufacturers, and they helped us generate details and design and basically work out a few like interface issues that we were having between like say the three of those because those were the, the three major components that were the the exterior. All it is is precast concrete and curtain wall. And so the interface between those two was re relatively important, but the interface between those two 
and the structural steel, again, very important in modeling. You know, a lot of times, you know, we, we talked about in the past where, you know, when we'd set a intent documents, more or less, not really full 100% construction documents, we'd put them out there on the streets and then it would be means and methods and, mm -hmm. and they would figure it out and we might get exactly what we were hoping for and we might not, you know, <laughs> and, and here when we're um, designing things, we're designing things to, to really, you know, hoping that as we model them and we're modeling them correctly and thoroughly, that what we feel like the design intent is, is what we're going to get. And that's really where this whole design build process is going. I mean, I, I think back to when we talked with shop architects and in their delivery process yep. and how that whole process came about and that whole building came about in a very collaborative design build process. Yep. Yeah. I think, it, there's a ton of potential here, and obviously it's not perfect. There's a lot of people who hate the design-build process. They think that, especially when it's contractor-led, right? I mean, it's one of those things True. where we don't have the control that we want to have, and we're still not brought into every conversation. And and so a lot of things get left on the table and never get figured out and, and don't come out to our liking. So I think that there's there's lots of room to make this better. But it is interesting to see things going more and more that way so that there is this collaboration or at least the potential of this collaboration to say, here's how we want it to function, look, behave, like whatever the, the factors are. And then it's like, okay, now you tell us what's your experience with how we could actually make this work or what's the best way to do this or the cheapest way, you know, depending again where where this thing needs to go. It is interesting to see how that, that collaboration could work out to everybody's advantage. Um, I think this is also where we start to see the future of the design process really heading towards pre-manufacturing of things, right? So there's there's lots of people trying to cut architects out of this equation. And then there's some architects who are really pushing the boundaries when it comes to prefab stuff. So I just thought it would be an interesting thing to bring up because now nowadays we're seeing a lot more stuff just being delivered to the site you know, really complex assemblies uh, where yeah. it's not built yeah. by hand on site, but it's built in a factory with, with either by hand or by, with the help of, you know, obviously jigs and, and potentially robotics and things like that. So mm -hmm. um, where it is a much more controlled environment and that could be anything from a, a panel assembly all the way to entire spaces. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Amazon actually does sell um, hospital rooms now. And they're prefabricated, <laughs> and they can get delivered to your job site. I mean, it's there's there's companies like Katera who are doing crazy, crazy big. I mean, they are pushing the envelope when it comes to quote unquote architecture and design and and prefabrication because the the studies have shown that the people who are first to adopt these these new technologies or push the envelope really do reap the rewards there. That like substantially higher revenues when it comes to being the first or the, you know, the first handful of companies that are pushing the envelope in these different directions. So they really do have the, the, the high percentage of, of revenues if you're first and, and if you're not a laggard behind. So um, I just thought it'd be interesting to point that out as well, because that, that is a whole other direction that this conversation could go with the future of the design process is that it's happening <laughs> Without us, sure. I mean, and, and I was going to say, I'm not sure there's a future if right. <laughs> you know, it, the design will happen. 
Yeah. It's whether we're going to be involved or not. And I think we cannot rely on the possibility or we shouldn't rely on the fact that, that architects are required for a permit at this point anymore, because anywhere somebody sees red tape, they will do whatever they can to cut it out. Mm -hmm. And the drawing process right now is necessary, but it is a necessary waste in the system, right? Because the building is the thing and the contractors delivering the building. So, while it takes drawings right now to make a building that is wasteful in the process. And, and so that's why I think we are headed towards model-based delivery. But, um, I mean, hate to say it, but, but the thing that we spend the most time on by far is the thing that a lot of people see as waste in the project and potentially, you know, red tape, right. And, and they'll do whatever they can to get rid of that. So let me ask you that. Um, Mr. Doomsday. Um, dun, dun, dun. So, so say, you know, say we get to the point where it's a model-based delivery and, and you're right, you know, manufacturers and contractors are probably better suited to actually creating the, the construction documents, the actual like documents that they build off of mm-hmm. that does it make more sense that our role becomes essentially less the creator of the kit of parts and more kind of like the advisor of the intent of the design. Yeah. Because Um, it goes beyond just the function of the building. It's all of the other things that we take into consideration that we are trained to do to make that thing a reality and, and make it operate on so many different levels, not just the, here's the keys to the building. It, have fun right right it's it's all of the other stuff that goes into that and the synthesis of all those different factors all the different users and the user groups the different site constraints the environmental constraints the code constraints like there's so many layers of complexity to that and so i really i really do think that that's where our value lies and that's where we should double down and not try to overlap so much with the other valuable members of the team I mean, a lot of times we spend so much time and, and we all know this. I mean, you know, Neil, we had talked about like times in the past and even, you know, off calls sometimes, you know, where, you know, you're, you're like killing yourselves going through all these different construction documents and, and things like that. But if you think about it, if, if we all think about the bulk of the time that we spend on these documents are essentially creating assembly documents mm-hmm. and not really intent documents. If, if in fact, you know, we do something like that, where we take ourselves out of that process, but help inform creating the intent documents, you know, essentially it's, it's the, through the design development, through design development. I mean, we've, you know, we've worked out all of our egress issues. We've worked out all of our, you know, accessibility issues. We've, we've worked on all of our life safety issues. We've worked on all of our code issues. We've worked on, you know, all of the things that we really need to quantify all of our knowledge you know the uh, relationships are juxtapositions of this mm-hmm. space to that space and all of the other the way the systems interface with that yeah all that stuff the way you know it, yeah and the way that all of the systems interface but do we really need to actually do the construction documents the instructions the kit of do we need to as i said on the last show is like do we need to create the ikea catalog you know the assembly thing i mean that's honestly better better suited to 
getting a bunch of contractors in the room or manufacturers in the room and say, okay, curtain wall, a guy, you're going to be interfacing with this manufacturer and this material and this product and this and that and all of the others. You guys all need to work together to figure out how all of your stuff interfaces. Here's the intent. This is the design direction. This is, you know, all of the constraints that we have to it. Go. Yeah, And I think, I think if you did get that whole team together on the same page, you know, this is ideal <laughs> blue sky engineering here. I mean, it's like the goal is to deliver the most value right? for everybody at that point, right? I mean, yeah, we're going to do it as efficiently as we can. We're going to save money where we can. We're going to spend money where we need to to deliver the best thing for the client for the most amount of time. And I, I think it would give us more ownership over the lifetime of the building, which is a good thing for the client as well, right? We're trying to deliver something that's going to last, something that's flexible, something that could get upgraded, get the operating system of that building upgraded over time so that it can perform even better. Yeah. I think if you had everybody thinking about it like that from the beginning, that there would be better architecture in the world, which would, which would affect so, more people. And that's kind of what I want to bring it back to the goal of, I think a lot of these processes, you know, we're, we're constantly looking, if you, if you're thinking about the users and I, I'm talking about our staff now, you're thinking about the people who are coming into our profession out of school they understand that if they can automate something, it gives them more time to do the thing that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, there's a lot of people it, who, who work in our offices who don't think like that. And so they're fighting against that because they want to hold on to the way that they've always done it. But man, if, if I can write a script that's going to automate eight hours of something every week down to five minutes and so that I can do something that I really want to do and not, draw that whatever you know toilet room details yeah. <laughs> so yeah uh, then i'm going to do that and i think that that's all leading toward giving us more time to spend on a project that's going to deliver more value to a client in the future and and really that's where everything's headed right do more with less i mean you you've got to yeah. do that if you if you can't do that right now if you're stuck doing it the old way then i man i hope you have clients who are willing to pay for that because i think the majority of the world's moved on and they're definitely saying you know well they're, they're used to looking at finished products and that's what they want right now. And that's what matters. And so that the delivery, the drawing process is very wasteful to them. Well, I'm great, glad you brought it back to that because, you know, the two things that popped into my head when you were talking about these is, I guess, eh, let's just call it the negative is, is that going to this type of a process, we don't want to lose control. And that's probably why we are still doing this type of a process rather than, the more automated type process that you can look at the positive. It's very amygdala based, right? It's like, we're going to die. <laughs> yeah. We got to hold yeah. on no matter what. Yeah. But I mean, so then I started thinking about, okay, well, okay. So we, we give up that control. What do we get out of that? What do we give, get out of it? If we give up the control, yeah, what kind of freedom of doing is there? Those kind of things. Yeah. And you, and you're absolutely right. It frees us up to actually do more. And then you look at the positive of that is in, and I'm being optimistic here is that, it gives us the opportunity to pursue more projects 
that are architecturally designed rather than Correct. a bunch of builder design Correct. stuff. Yeah, I, I think right now you're penalized for spending more time on the project just because of the way the fee structures are set up, yeah. right? Yeah. It's how can, I do, how can I do the same thing that I've always done with less time because the fees are lower. And, so, and you get penalized. Like you, you cannot put that time on your time card. Even if you spend yeah. it there, okay, right? So, but but you can't put that on there because you you can't even make it look like on paper that you spent more time on that project because that's a penalty on the profitability yeah. of the project within the mm -hmm. firm that yeah. you're working for, which means you're not going to get a bonus, which means that you're an inefficient worker, which means all kinds of crazy political and <laughs> you know psychological things in the profession that we work. But if you were to flip that model and say, I can automate the crap out of this thing. I can hand off the stuff that we are not going to do because we're risk averse um, and that's not adding value to the project so that mm -hmm. I can spend more time creating a better, more valuable product for the owner. I mean, I, I and you're going to chase more projects that are going to allow you to do that because you're not spending that time doing those drawings. I, I, You know, this is just real big picture stuff, but that it sounds like... That's the direction that we should try to own as a profession, not just a one-off firm here or there who's who's willing to take on something different. Yeah. So, so the the hang-up that I see or the the roadblock to that is liability, because I don't know if anybody has mentally wrapped their minds around. Okay. Well, what does that mean? from a liability factor. I mean, if I'm, if I'm giving up and, and to be quite honest with you, I, if you really look at it, I feel like it's more of a release of, you know, a reduction in liability than kind of like the increase where we literally design to the nth degree and then are held liable for every little bit and piece of it where it would be better suited to put that liability factor on you know, those that are building it, that are interfacing it and stuff like that. But it's going to be kind of, and I say that this, it's hard to, for people to wrap their mind around it on a liability factor in every case from the owner who's saying, okay, my building leaks, who do I blame mm -hmm. from, you know, the contractor says, okay, well, this structural calculation failed, you know, I mean, who do I blame kind of thing. And so there are all these different, you know, factors behind all of this stuff that, I think, you know, everybody's going to say, well, this is why we don't do it. And this is why we don't do it. And this is why we don't do it. But in in honesty, I mean, there are so many pluses for us to do something like this, um, especially on the architectural side of things where it frees us up. Say we, you know, do something like this and, and move into that kind of um, direction where we take buildings through the design de design development phase. So now we've got a you know, fully realized, somewhat flushed out, you know, or, or fully, at least fully flushed out to the point where we're ready to, you know, build our kit of parts, uh, set of documents, um, so that the contractors and the manufacturers and everybody else has full design intent of exactly what we intend for this building to do and be in nine times out of 10 through design development, all of the structural calculations have been created. All of the mechanical loads have been, you know, done and, and all of this other stuff. So, I mean, we've thought through all of that holistically throughout the entire building. And so say we get to that point. Okay. So then 
we pass it off to the contractor and the manufacturers, say a CM delivery process. So we give it to them and then they, you know, go through the shop drawing process of, of all of that, that, that frees us up to then go on to the next project and basically do the same thing. And so say we have all of these projects where rather than taking them all the way through, I mean, we're still involved with construction to, you know, construction documentation, but it's more of the review process during the CD phase yeah. that switches from being CDs to switching to the submittal phase. Mm -hmm. And then we're back on, you know, kind of like full time for construction administration, just, you know, review of, of the, of everything and, and how it all pulls together and stuff where that frees us up to move on to the next project to do the same thing. And though it may reduce our overall profitability, you know, or not profitability, it reduces our, you know, actual like percentage that we get off of that project. But if we're only doing say one project or two projects of this large magnitude, um, throughout, let's just say a calendar year and, we reduce that and say, okay, now we can do one of these projects every quarter. Now we've just doubled, you know, or, or we're back at the point where we're either at the same profit margin for the year, or we're slightly ahead of that profit margin for the year because we're able to do more projects with less risk and liability on our shoulders. Well, call it a wash. I mean, right. Or call it a wash. It doesn't yeah. matter because I think in the end, um, you will be doing more work because you are providing more value and people like that. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll be spreading the word. But I mean, you're and, not, you're not like spending all of this time on construction correct. documentation. Correct. So, you're shifting but it. You're, you're just shifting it. But you're, yeah, exactly. You're shifting it to where, I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean, especially now if we're going to be moving towards the more modeled um, delivery based process and we see that happening often now, I, I've seen it in the last three projects that I've done that if you do that and you spend that time, you shift that time. Like I said, right now we're so still geared towards the old delivery method of what? 20% SD, 20% DD. And then this whole big chunk of it's spent on CDs and then a little bit on CA. But if you shift a lot of that CD stuff forward yeah. to forward to the SD and DD, mm -hmm. You have a fully flushed out building that's, you know, you can have your full set of specs off of your DD instead of, okay, now I've just got these outline specs at DD, but then I'll get, you know, to the um, full specifications at the end of CDs. Well, I mean, really, you know exact if if you've spent the right amount of time on design development, you you're able to you're able to actually have a fully realized set of design documents with all of your systems in place and understood exactly what you want from not just the architectural side of things, but from everybody else, you should be done at DD. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. So, so what other kinds of things have you guys seen that are really, you feel like they're really affecting the, the future of our design process. I mean, are you seeing, are you seeing technology? Are you seeing like a different attitude in people? Um, are you seeing different kind of neat ideas from leadership? I mean, what, what else are you guys seeing? Well, what I, what I do see is I see that the clients are expecting more. Totally. Totally. Just had a fascinating conversation yesterday because 
one of our design teams who's designing a whole high school campus, um, they're in schematic design and they're delivering like weekly fly-throughs because it communicates the project the way the client wants to see it. And it's driven by client expectation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Full 3D, you know, Enscape, fly-throughs. They're bickering over the color of the leaves on the trees, which is ridiculous, right? Because it shouldn't be about that. <laughs> and and all the, diverse, the, the diversity of the entourage um, instead of talking about the architecture. But... Well, I guess in a way you, you, you could say that that's okay if, if that's where the client's focus is in there. It's interesting know. for sure. It's interesting. <laughs> I was just say, well, you know, at least they, you know, and then if they're like, all right, the tree's great. Like, <laughs> so how about the building? Right. Neil, curiosity. I mean, because I know that you do a lot of like developer um, based stuff. I mean, what are some of the developers looking for um, when you go through like the, the design uh, process. I mean, what are they expecting to see? It's an interesting question. I think that a lot like you guys are saying, they're everybody wants more, better, faster. Yeah. So how do we how do we deliver that? Uh, I think there's a challenge in shifting what you guys were saying about shifting the construction drawing process. Um, to either the contractors or the, or more collaborative process. I'm not sure, but I think one of the functional sides of that is when I think of when firms hire people, they tend to come in with little experience, uh, certainly of the construction process and working in an office. And they're often given the task of working on construction drawings. Mm -hmm. So if we, if, if the future of our industry is moving towards, um, where you guys were discussing, you know, that shift of where, I mean, that may work for people mid career, right. That, uh, that, that all three of us are at where, okay. Yeah. That we can, you know, we can see that moving in that direction, but however, what does that mean to the younger professionals that are just starting, uh, what is their role to play if that sort of, if construction documents moves away? And I, and I, and I understand what you're trying to get at, which is it's a wasteful process, but it's um, necessary. Yeah. But it's necessary waste at this point. It's sure. a necessary wasteful process, but how do we make that better? And I think you guys are exploring some really interesting ideas of making that better. I just wonder how that affects people coming into our industry. And if we start, they have to come in. If that goes away, how do they come in? And then how do they learn, um, you know, or, or does that chunk of the workforce move towards the contractor side? And if that's true, you know, we're a dying, well, we're a no, dying industry at that point. Not really, because if you think about it, I mean, it opens up a opportunity for architects to work, not necessarily in just their traditional architectural office, but now, you know, architects have a greater value on the con, you know, on the construction site because they're able to be there because I mean, you know, we've got a lot of, I've dealt with a lot of architects on the CM but, side of things. Yeah. But Cormac, you're always talking about that. Or you, you've always talked about, 
architects need to understand how to build oh, or how the buildings <laughs> go together, right? And and you're always a proponent of that. And if you're saying that it get, how can we be the experts on uh, you know on the job site or in the office uh, doing schematic design and design development when you've never even done construction drawings to understand how anything goes <laughs> you together? You do construction. So, you don't do construction no. so, drawings. Yeah. Um, so actually, and 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 that was I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things that if you didn't bring it up, I was going to bring it up because it it seems somewhat hypocritical for me to say one thing but then preach the other, and it's not. I mean, I totally agree with you because I I truly believe that the biggest disconnect that we have right now in the profession is because we're. And it's, and it's back to that whole weird transitional phase of things. Cause like right now we've got this great technology and a lot of like practitioners of the technology that don't really fully understand the constructability of a building. And then we have a lot of people who understand the constructability of a building, but don't really understand the technology. And so again, back to that whole thing about the, you know, that, that weird transitional phase we're in. So if you're able to step away from, and, and Evan said it perfectly, if we're able to step away from the construction documents and you get them out on site and they can understand what each of those, you know, like, so I, I do see, and here's where I'm torn. I, I do see the value of doing construction documents so that you can see exactly how all of the systems go together. But to be quite honest with you, we spend a lot of time during design development doing that very thing that a lot of times the CD phase of things really is more of just like documenting things and like noting things up and, and just, you know, doing a few fine details here and there, or, you know, okay, now I get to do all these like little soft details and yeah. alignment stuff and, and little things like that. But the bulk of like the big system picture is done in design development that I think we, we wouldn't necessarily be losing that. But the biggest thing is in, in, you know, I'll say from just my recent experiences that I've had people who've worked on projects with me who, when we get into construction administration, I'm usually the one kind of taking over construction administration to a point, you know, not necessarily all of it. To a point, I'll be leading a lot of the effort of construction administration, whereas they don't ever really go out there and get out on site and stuff. We need to get everybody out on site so you can really see. And to be honest with you, I think you take a set of DD documents, good, well put together DD documents, and, and that's that's a model. The, that's How about the, a model? Yeah, a model. Yeah. When I say documents, I don't necessarily mean like Sheets. the two D yeah. piece of paper. Right. It's whatever that delivery process it's is. The, the documented design at that point. Yes, but if you can get them out onto site with that. I think, and then you can start to see all of this stuff and, and start to work through all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really honestly where the the value of their education in learning what, how things go together, how things get built, how things are put up on site and what the challenges on site are so that it can best inform their design. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I don't think the value of construction administration informs construction documentation as much as it should no. be informing yeah. design. Yeah. Because if, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, sh I'm going to do this, uh, 
you know, 12 foot eight floor to floor. And then, you know, my, my, uh, structure is going to be six inches deep. And then I'm going to have these big tenant, you know, uh, 10 foot ceilings. And then you start to do the math and you're like, that doesn't work. Right. You should have never drawn it that but so, way because you just know it won't work. Yeah. And I, I think really to, to kind of get back to Neil's question, like, how does this, how does this actually work in the office? I, I think it's a team of, or a, a segment of the group is, is a very, they're, they're generalists, right? They're, yeah. Yeah. The leadership is generalist. They understand the whole process. And that comes from all sides of the table in this kind of ideal world that we're painting right now, right? It comes from architecture. It comes from construction. It comes from finance. It comes from all these things. And, and they understand the big picture. They understand what it actually takes because they've done projects backed up by a team of, of experts, right? Who really know what they're doing in their domain. And, and the team has to be all of those things, because if you just have somebody who's really good at design computation, right, they, they don't know anything about constructability, <laughs> Right. You have right. to have the generalists overseeing this whole process. And honestly, just just like to bring it back down to how does this work in the future? Neil, it's it is through mentorship and it is through putting crap on the wall and getting it off mm -hmm. the screen. Because yeah. I agree with you that it is almost impossible to train somebody who has no quote unquote experience in construction documents. Uh, because there are no boards to look at things holistically and there's nobody walking around the room looking at what everybody's doing. And so you've got to really up the, the way that the collaboration happens in the office and put stuff on the walls and get people commenting and talking about it and excited about the project and owning the project, the whole project, not just the little piece they're working on. Because that's what I see time and time again. Is that you've got a computer over there facing that way, and I've got a computer over here facing this way, and we don't see what each other's working on, and we don't know how my work impacts their work, um, especially if they're outside of the office or on another team. You know, they're in another entity. You know, they're in the contractor's office, and this is where the big room idea really does come into play, right? We're going to solve these issues together right now, and you can't leave until it's solved. It really is pushing back in the direction of just put it up on the wall and let's talk about it, right? You just gave me a brilliant idea for my next, for this project that I'm working on right now, which is, so when we, we you know, we started this off by talking about, you know, technology, the design process, the future of the design process and things like that. And then we've, we've kind of talked about, you know, we've done all of these different circles of different ideas and things like that. You know, I, I started to somewhat daydream about, okay, the reality of the process right now is it's not me walking around, looking down at boards, you know, so you're saying, oh, you know, this isn't right, or this isn't right. It's everybody kind of somewhat working in a very compartmentalized bubble yep. that they're looking at their screen. I'm looking at my screen and not all the time. Are we really actually conversing and communicating well enough together I set up a Bluebeam studio session and everybody's invited and we dump all of the documents in there and I start redlining through things. And then periodically we sit down and we talk about, you know, why I made that particular comment or red mark or something like that and what the change needs to be and why that, you know, the intent of that change and all that other stuff. But I think the value honestly would be is pulling the people who are, let's say, We've got a team that's doing core and shell right now for um, this project. And so pulling in the core and shell team and having 
our set of documents that we've just create, you know, generated. And, and whether it's, you know, sitting down and doing a working session with Bluebeam or, you know, sitting down and doing a working session in Revit itself, but everybody basically projecting the work that they've been doing up on the wall mm -hmm. and everybody doing a constructability critique, a design coordination with constructability critique together to understand what all of this is. And it's not a critique of things like, ah, oh, God dang it. You know, Evan, what the hell were you thinking when you drew this? It's, it's more of like, okay, so Evan, you drew this and this is great, but how does this, you know, let's talk about the next steps of constructability or design and how, you know, you drew this for constructability, but now you've gotten completely away from the design intent yeah. or vice versa. Right. And how do we pull all those things together? And somebody has got to oversee that whole process who understands the project. Right. And, and it's right. also right. an interesting kind of approach to that, I think is, I don't know if you guys have heard about the, the way that Japanese corporations structure their meetings, but they, it's, it's interesting in that the leadership speaks last. And, and the reason is, is because they want to give the young professionals the opportunity to say something without feeling like they're ever stepping on a senior's toes or, mm -hmm. or going against something that a senior just said. And I think that's I like awesome, it. right? Because it, it, like it, it. Puts, it puts the onus on them to tell the story of why, why do they think what they think without having to feel like they need to politically bias themselves towards or position themselves towards one person or another or please somebody in a meeting um, based on something that's already been said by a senior. Um, and, and so when you were just talking about that and you're talking about projecting something on the wall that you've just drawn, you give them the opportunity to speak first and talk about why and yeah, then, and then guide the process from there. I think that, and again, we're talking larger firm, kind of big team on a project, um, definitely not addressing that single person on a, on a custom residence kind of a thing. So sorry about that folks. But I mean, this really, to me, I mean, we, we really are talking about the future of the design process. And I think that's going to be led by these types of projects and it will trickle throughout the industry into, into other ways. There's, there's so many other things that we could talk about here, but I think um, maybe we save those for our next episode when we actually get a little more nuts and bolts into technologies that we see happening um, and the types of, staff like what what the types of staff we need are to move into the future of the design process what do you guys think sure that'd, that'd be great cool sure all right that's that's let's call it a wrap right there rap rap music I don't know if you guys have seen these new Microsoft Surface hubs that are coming out. They uh, mm -hmm. they just announced it this week. Like they're shipping one pretty soon, but you know it's a fully interactive ten touch point TV that's like fifty five inches and eighty five inch one coming out next year. But like when you're talking about putting shit on the wall and being able to draw on it and have that stuff just immediately available to everybody on the team anywhere. It's pretty awesome See, stuff. It's only twenty five thousand dollars. This is getting to the point where it's minority this report. <laughs> this is this is my jam. Yeah, they are expensive, Neil. But I mean, like, uh, on some levels, you can't like 
get get off your 20 inch screen right <laughs> you know i mean god i mean ah shit this is exactly where i want this to go is is, is honestly sit there because I mean, we're such you know we're we're tactile design. I mean, we're tactile profession. I mean, we, we want to sit there and we want to touch stuff. We want to like point at things. We want, mm. you know, how many times I spend more in conversation on, you know, like in design meetings and stuff on my feet, walking up to the screen, pointing at the screen, talking about, do you like, touch the screen? Through. Are you a screen toucher? Oh, I'm a screen. Toucher. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm a, I, I, you on know, some level, and, you know, I get funny. it. I mean, you just said it. You're a tactile but, but person. So, <laughs> you got to touch the thing. But, <laughs> but here's the thing is that, you know, so I'm sitting here and I'm trying to point and I'm like, you know, pointing Get through. Damn fingers off the screen. Well, this is, a, this is a projection screen because we're doing it large scale like this Surface Hub. Okay. But, you know, but we're sitting there and we're talking through. And what's great about it is, is that when you got the client, she's getting up and she's walking over there and, you know, because she's... You know, you know, she's a design architect as well. And, you know, she's brilliant and knows exactly, you know, kind of like what she wants. And she's trying, you know, she does a great job of like not like forcing her opinion necessarily on us, but, you know, expressing her experience on us, which it, I, I love it to a point. But then sometimes you're just like, yeah, yeah, we got this. But then, you know, it's just like, no, but sometimes we don't have it. And, and that's where, you know, we listen to the client, we listen to the, her experience of things. And, and, um, you know, then we kind of, you know, meet in the middle, but you know, what's great is then, you know, I get up and I'm like pointing through things and all this other stuff, because, you know, I can sit there and I can explain it, but I can also, you know, show explain yeah. and show at the same time. Totally. And, you know, because we are all visual learners and, you know, it's just like a lot of times when you hear clients and they say, I don't see it, I don't understand it. I, you know, can you explain that so I can like visualize it, you know? Yeah. But I can also visualize it for you. Like I can say, I'm talking about this datum line that kind of sets different program, you know, that, that, that kind of divides all of these different programs. And I can say datum line all I want to, but nobody gets, they it. don't understand yeah. what the hell that means. So I can sit there and I can say this line right here, see this line, this wall right here mm -hmm. is the datum line that separates this research, this, you know, um, wet lab research facility to the computational in this datum line right here translates into the exterior and how does how does our exterior respond to, you know, all of the different separation between the program on the interior and, and how does that translate through and what does that mean both, you know, in our actual physical interior spaces and our physical exterior spaces mm -hmm. and talk about it and walk through and show them what all of that stuff means by touching the screen <laughs> or being able to like rotate things around or cut a section in, um, in Revit and say, okay, this side of the section is this. <laughs> yeah. This side of the section is this. So and this is what you see when you cut through there. The future of the design process is touching the screen. Sweet. It's touch. Hands on. So that means that you need to get fingerprint proof screens, <laughs> you know, because I'm going to be mucking that shit up. Right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's... uh. I don't know if that works for the after show. That might be enough, 